0: Real quick, I recommend listening to Face the Music podcast on Spotify where you can listen to all of your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free without a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on any topic you can think of. Plus, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you can never miss an episode. Premium users can download episodes to listen to offline wherever and whenever and easily share it with what you're listening to to your friends. So if you haven't already... Be sure to download the Spotify app and follow Face the Music podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode from us. This is Face to Music episode three of Coach's Corner with your host, Zhu, here from K23.ca. This podcast is all about knowledge for the musician, where we get a glimpse into the point of view of today's leading figures in the music industry. Our focus primarily for this podcast is to expand your skills in the music industry. From journalists, a managers, you name it, we bring them here to share their stories. For this podcast season, we'll be diving into conversations with three leading music industry coaches that share their understanding and expertise to help you get the mindset to succeed. For more of what I do apart from this podcast, is helping musicians brand and market themselves through visual design. For more information, you can find out more about my company at k23.ca. For now, let's get into this episode. Today's guest is none other than Tom Jackson. Author of the book called Live Music Method and the genius behind the All Roads Lead to the Stage DVD series, Tom Jackson is a master at transforming an artist's live show into a magical experience for the audience. As a live music producer, Tom takes what the artist is trying to communicate and helps put it in a language that the audience understands. From stretching the song out more, introducing a different expansion of an instrumental solo, Tom takes your studio recorded hit and makes it tangible to love it being performed live. Now, I've seen him do this plenty of times in front of me at Canadian Music Week, and it's mind-blowing. Tom has worked with artists such as Taylor Swift, Jars of Clay, the band Perry, Gloriana, and many more on their live show. In fact, thousands of artists, both major and indie in nearly every genre, rock, pop, country, folk, jazz, blues, gospel, world, and more have learned from Tom Jackson. The artists he has worked with have had hundreds of number one songs, sold millions of records, and played to thousands live, but his teachings will help anyone who performs on stage. Listen in to see what you can learn from your song live. In his book called Live Music Method, What We Have Been and Surely You Should Obsess About, Tom Jackson says the industry has changed for most artists, but their live show is still 90-95% to of the revenue. That's a lot of money and a lot of reasons for being high-touch versus high-tech. And what that means is not only seeing the record as a product, but also the live show as a product as well. From going to a rehearsal room for three to four days before a tour, practicing the songs in a set and calling that a show, producing a great show needs to be a priority and you need to set aside time and money to do it right. In his book titled Live Music Method, Tom Jackson shares his concepts, principles, and secret techniques of taking your live performance to the next level. Having all the talent in the world and not being able to perform and be spectacular on stage would be a waste of time. From learning to play, rehearsing, recording, investing time and money into a record, it was all meant to lead you to walk out on stage and have the audience in your palm. And that's what this book is about. K23 is honored to present to you the author of Live Music Method, Tom Jackson. Hello, this is Zoo from K23.ca and Face the Music Podcast. And today I have Tom Jackson.
1: Great to be here.
0: So Tom, what song is on your mind right now?
1: Oh my gosh. Too much
0: time on my hands. I like that. Sounds good. Uh, Cool. Awesome. So what do you think is the greatest asset you believe a musician has? A
1: great and willing attitude. I think it's the most important thing by far. Mm. Anyone can practice licks over and over and over again. Some people are just blessed with a great voice. Can't do much about that. Um, You know, one way, good or bad. You you can get it better, but... But no, uh, I think a great attitude, a teachable attitude. People have
0: called you a movement coach, choreographer, performance coach, live show coach, or even a stage coach. Let's get a better understanding of your definition of a live music producer.
1: Live, live music, and we're adding this and performance producer. When people say live music producer, they're thinking something different. Like I'm going to record It's really hard to describe what I do, but live music and performance producer. I mean, do I do movement when I work with an artist? Yes, I'm definitely not a choreographer. When I work with artists who need choreography, a choreographer is brought in. And I'm not really, to be 100% honest with you, I'm not really a a pop choreographed guy. I work with mostly live music, bands, singer-songwriters, people who play their instruments uh doesn't mean they can't have tracks with it or cuz that's the new norm but definitely not a movement coach definitely not a choreographer definitely not a uh you know the idea here isn't to make you kind of goofy looking and you know boys to men kind of thing not that no i just help people create moments mm. put their show together in a way that the audience gets it. Mm.
0: And I really like your idea about the live show being a product in itself. Can you tell us what you did to take this idea further and make it a professional career?
1: Well, I just saw... I played mm-hmm. uh, and I toured and I had some aha moments in my life. Um, what was that life like you know, as a as a bass player in that band? Uh, it was It was... Well, it was great. It's like being a part of a hockey team or a baseball team or something. So you're, There's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of fighting. <laughs> uh, but it, it was great. It was great to travel for a while. <laughs> At first, everyone, went, oh, get to travel. Mm-hmm. And then you get into it a while. And you're like, okay, should be nice to be home once in a while. But it was great. I had a good band. I, I, I've been in actually like three bands in my life. And we never, quote unquote, made it, but we definitely played a lot. And it's really where I learned uh, my craft of live music producing. One band was really strong musically. And so I learned a lot about creating moments musically in a show. Then another band I was in was really great with the energy and the, 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 concept of you got to do a live show you got to connect with the audience um and and that was fun too and so what i did when i was finished here uh, with playing i i kind of combined the two the musical and the show part and that's been good to me for quite a few years amazing So I'm a graduate of the music industry
0: arts program here in Ottawa, and we studied everything from sound engineering and music business, but live performances was not something that we talked about and studied. Do you think academia has
1: changed since the beginning of your career as a performance coach? Nope. Mm. (laughs) Nope. Um, I I say this and and listen, this is not intended to be arrogant uh, because I'm just grateful. I get to do what I do and I've been doing it so long with some great people, but no, and there look I've taught at Berkeley. I've taught at many colleges and I, I have a good friend who said to me, you know, you ever notice that you go to all these kids sign up to go to performing art school and they don't learn how to perform. Mm-hmm. He goes, why is that? And the truth is, and it's going to sound arrogant, but they don't know how to teach it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't, if you don't know it, you can't teach it. And I'm not talking about holding a microphone. Somebody does that or smile here in other words, majoring in the minors. But but mm. this whole thing is way bigger than that, particularly going back to a product. If you are, if your show's the product, you better dot every I and cross every T. You don't have to, but I recommend it. That's why when you go see, whether you love these shows or not, the big arena shows with Taylor and Madonna and the really big productions, Pink, Pink, um, that stuff is months and months and months and months and months of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Some of it's musical, some of it's visual, some of it's verbal, some of it's production. It's, it's the whole thing. It's not just playing music, yeah. uh, making it up as you, you are on stage.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's, like, it's like helping make that moment come alive. And, uh, and you, you actually helped Taylor Swift herself. How was that experience helping Taylor Swift get her live music show spectacular?
1: Well, when I got started working with Taylor, she was actually opening for Brad Paisley. And the first half of the tour was before Christmas. Second half of the tour was after Christmas. We got together during Christmas and worked on stuff. So we worked on the exact same songs. And some of these were hits. Exact same songs that she played in the first half. But we created moments out of them. and, And I developed the show part of it. And her merchandise went up 600%. Mm. Well, we create the moment and then you realize, oh my gosh, this would make a great jacket, t-shirt, uh, hat. Um, you create moments, you build your merchandise around those moments and watch your sales go up. The problem is, and I'm, I'm realizing this, it's, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, as they say in the south. You know, I had some people send me, send me your moments. And what I realized what a lot of people were thinking were moments were moments for them on stage. And I went, oh, my gosh, not, nothing against get, being on stage and having all this emotion and ugh, moved, you know, in, in multiple ways. But it's, it's about connecting with the audience that moment. You got, you got to bring the audience into that moment, not just have it be you on stage experiencing that moment. And that's really what I do. Help create the moment and then make it communicated to the audience. Once it's communicated, they're with you emotionally. You create those moments. You build your merch around the moments and connect with more audiences and all that.
0: And that's why you you wrote the book, The Live Music Method. So, you know what, let's dive into the book right now. And actually, I love what you said in chapter three about planning and building a foundation of a great show. And I really like the reminder to artists as well that communication from the stage is 15% content and words, 30% tone and emotion, and fifty percent, 55% what the audience sees. Can you give our audience more details on being the architect of their own show in some sense then?
1: Well, let's start with what they see. Mm-hmm. Here's what most artists do is they play and I'm not saying everyone listening to this does this, but here's what 90 some percent do: they write the song or learn, and then learn the song. Get if, if you're in a band, you get you know you get in rehearsal and learn and get it down. You run th- you run through it. Then somebody slaps together uh, the order, the set list, and then you go out on stage and make it up as you go because we've been taught we're supposed to be spontaneous. I will say this. Spontaneity and winging it are two different things. Mm-hmm. And most people are winging it. So to be the architect for your show, mm-hmm. first of all, starts musically for me uh, with a vision. A vision for, you know, when I listen to songs, I see things in my head. And I think everyone does to some degree. Yeah. So you you get the idea of oh my gosh I love this party. But if it's not like creating quote unquote in what you
0: say a moment which is what the audience wants then they're not really going to buy your music. See, like I love your philosophy that people buy moments not songs. Could you define what a moment is then?
1: It's something that moves an audience emotionally. It's something that that connects emotionally mm. the band and the uh audience connect in a way Like the artist is on stage and he's got this amazing lyric. And I've seen this. I've seen this with, I'm going to name names, Kelly Pickler. She's up on stage just crying her heart out and all that. I look around the audience and no one is into it. She's like totally lost inside it. It's not that it was bad that she was lost inside it, meaning that this was such an emotional thing to her. What was wrong was that the audience wasn't in on that emotion. They weren't following the story of the song. It was not a part of there was a disconnect. It was like she was talking at them and we're watching her experience something, but we weren't experiencing it. So you can do that with a lyric, a vocal, a a movement on stage, fun, uh, a touching Mm -hmm. moment. Springsteen, for example, he's a big preacher. He brings it. Why do you think you two, they haven't had a hit in 30 years and yet they'll still sell out Stadiums because they create these moments that people want to relive. So they come back to their shows, even though they haven't been on the radio, everyone spends so much of their time trying to get to radio and I'm not against radio, not at all, but that's where it stops. They do radio, then they go out and play their songs. And so a moment, it's so hard to describe, you know, when you're in it, it's like watching a movie when, uh, you know, when I have no idea when something happens that is memorable and you afterwards you tell people about it, it's like because it moved you emotionally.
0: And it's another way to, to incorporate the audience with the story to be like, you know, my heart was broken and I, I know that you guys have had your hearts broken here. Let me retell that story in your eyes or through, you know, and instead of me singing my song, it's literally our song. It's almost like sharing that song moment with everybody.
1: It is. And, and or you're, they're drawn into your moment if it was a specific thing, meaning mm. something unusual. But they're still caught up in that moment. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that. Yeah. And and it's something that Seth Godin, he says, are you remarkable? And remarkable does not necessarily mean amazing. But remarkable is something that people will remark about mm-hmm. after your show. I mean, literally you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, remember that? Or did you see that? Or, you know, that kind of thing mm-hmm. versus uh, and most people are not remarkable. They're most people are, are good players. They can sing well. They got some good songs. And like I said, and then they go out and wing it. And back to the foundation, you get you get into 55 percent of communication is visual. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Again, here's one of the biggest issues most artists have they do the same thing over and over on stage in every song. Almost every song, they're, they're standing in the same place, doing the same movement, uh, over and over and over. And after about three or four songs, the audience starts checking out because they've seen the whole show. Yeah. And that's that's like watching, we all do it. We do it all the time. I do it on Netflix. We click on a movie and we we start watching it. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, I look at my wife and go, uh I know where this is I know where this is going. I, I and there's nothing special about this at all. And and we check out because we're looking for that special thing, that moment.
0: Yeah. That that excites us, that thrills us, that puts us in and then puts us out and then puts us back in and you know, it keeps us uh Engaged. That's exactly it. So, some of the questions that you get from artists is how you put together an effective set list. So, what's the importance of the psychology of a set
1: list? It's like, how do you like to greet people? How do you like mm-hmm. to watch a movie? Yeah. Um, you know, some movies start and they've developed this thing over the years. James Bond movies. Have you ever seen a James Bond movie? If you miss the first 10 minutes, you've missed a a cool part of the thing because it always starts with something that mm. sucks you in. You know what I mean? Something big. Um, but there, yeah, there's a psychology to people. And also there's a psychology to a group of people you ever met with somebody who's very reasonable and you put them in a mob and all of a sudden they're mad people. There's a mentality that an audience has that you can take. And I, I don't mean this in a negative way. I could be used in a negative, you can take advantage of you can lead them. Well, you're taking them somewhere.
0: You're, you're building an environment and a, and a utopia, and you're t- taking people down a path to see the view, essentially. That's, that's what you're trying to... Well,
1: that's what a show is. You, you start somewhere, and that goes back to the vision. So what are we trying to do with this show? We're trying to grab them. We're trying to make them laugh. We're trying to make them cry, all built around the songs. We're not, we're not changing the material. What we're doing is developing the material so that those touching moments come out. The, the fun moments come out, the blazing guitar solos come out, The uh, all that stuff come out, you 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 build it, in a sense, a bit like a movie. And, and in fact, I just worked with a guy up, up there, Jesse Cook. And Jesse Cook is, might be the most, the, if he's not the best flamenco guitarist in the world, he's one of two or three. And And he has no vocals. And so you could get really, really, really bored with uh, just people going off music. Instrumentals, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's world music beats flamenco. Somebody ought to check him out online if you love guitar playing and, and world music. But the point is, subtle things make a big difference. I, I have to s- switch something in the arrangement. Um, direct the attention to something. And that's huge, too, in your show. Directing the attention to what is important in the show. Now, what does that mean? That means like when you're in the re- recording studio and you're mixing, what is what are you trying to bring up in the mix? Are you bringing up the vocal or is it guitar solo time or are we doing some harmonies or is the rhythm the most important thing and we, we bring it up? Well, we can do that by a fader and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but live, the audience, if we're just doing our thing and kind of winging it the audience does not know what to pay attention to mm-hmm. they're because they're ignorant they don't understand musical things 30% of the people know what's really going on and the other 70 don't you wonder why your career's not going anywhere the idea is to create those moments mm-hmm. direct the audience's attention to those moments build your merch around those moments and that all that stuff begins way before you walk out on stage by getting a vision for each song look at listening to the songs and saying okay how should the audience respond here what am i trying to communicate how do i develop this awesome well, here, here's another example when you write a song typical song and i by the grace of god i've worked on over 100 number one songs in some of those cases I, and now thousands i've worked on and out of those thousands of songs a certain percentage a pretty high percentage 20% 25% The best part of the song is the bridge. Most people, because it's the bridge, the bridge on radio goes by really quickly. It's a break from the verse, chorus, verse, chorus. The bridge goes by quickly, and then you end the song. But if the bridge is the best part, develop the bridge. And and most people don't. They just play it the way the song is recorded. That's amazing actually like I really like that you structure the set list uh,
0: in order to bring and shine the moments so, uh, you basically you you basically pinpoint all the moments in the songs in all of your songs and then structure it so the so each moment is introduced
1: to the audience to the audience in in a way that they get it not in the way that, that the artist get it. gets it the artist knows that that groove is cool because he's played it four hundred times or twenty times or whatever or it was in the studio it's like you Cool groove. But it's so many people, here's a perfect, another example. of Missed opportunity. Great, great groove. Mm-hmm. Boom, dum, boom, boom, dum. Bands in, everyone's singing. If we would have s- sat on that groove for 20, 30, 40 seconds, talked to the audience over, it, got them in the groove, then went into the song, I mean, the second part of the song, then they're with you. But instead, we rush through the introduction to get to the song. And on radio, you have to. Boom, you've got to get to you've got to get to the verse and the chorus and all that stuff quickly. Live. uh Uh-uh.
0: No way. Yeah. People paid. People paid to be here to experience you. So it's it's time. It's time for you to shine in every way, shape, or form, you know? And you know, this is one of the reasons why we actually even started the the podcast to introduce our listeners to to characters like you that uh, help a musician shine in their whole career now more than ever from, um, from actually being their own manager, being their own um, promotional uh, person and also being their own magician on stage. And you teach that, being a magician on stage, you know? Well, not literally, but uh, musically.
1: I get what you're saying. You know, um, and I'm also partly developing them as artists because the idea is to push them a little further you get comfortable playing the guitar after so many years, or singing certain stuff. You need someone to push you. Why do you think? Why do you think Gretzky had a coach? Wasn't he good enough? Well, that's not it. There's motivation. There's there's all kinds of things. All all the great athletes and and players and singers and all this stuff. And when I say all, oh, it's not entirely true. But ninety some percent of them do. They just don't tell you. You can't find my name on any of Taylor's stuff, yet I worked with her for five years.
0: The mindset, you have to basically build the mindset, you know?
1: Well, let me say this. Back at the beginning, you asked me, how, how do you teach somebody that's listening how to create those moments? The first thing I do is I, I pull out a sheet of paper, write the songs down. I listen to the songs. Now, let me say this. It's easier for me, no question, because I have an outsider's perspective. So when I hear the song, particularly for the first or second time, it stimulates ideas, and some of those ideas are like, "Oh my gosh, let's let's take this thing out of time. Let's develop the uh, the rhythm. Let's let's do that. Let's do that harmony. That's the chorus a- acapella at the beginning. I just I just start going through ideas in my head as I'm listening to this, and I write them down. And all I do is jam. I'm not editing. Um then I go back after I've listened to it, depends on who's hired me and how much they're paying me. I'm not gonna listen to them five times, six times. If I'm spending four hours with them. Now if I'm putting a, a you know a tour together, of course I am. I'm I'm digging real, 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 real deep because we'll have the time to go that deep. But point is listen to them, write down all those ideas. I don't edit, then I come back to my book. And, and I walk into rehearsal with all of these ideas to develop. It's not me telling people exactly what to do. I want the artist's input. It's their song, it's their show. So, and I want mm-hmm. that to, each person in the group to shine. I drop an idea into the, this part. And now let me say this again, I'm fortunate I've done this way over 20 years. And after a while you start figuring out, you know what's gonna work and what's not gonna work. But where I started was, okay, uh, this sounds pretty cool. I really like this part in the song, but only me. And the reason might be because I'm the only one really hearing it. So I extend things. I cut things. I twist things musically for the live show. Uh, and some things I leave alone. There's no question about it. You need to have a couple quick songs in, in and out. Try this. Let's try this. Okay, have you thought of that? And then all of a sudden you start feeling this creativity in the room where there's like Mm -hmm. cool spirit and everyone's jumping in with ideas. And all I end up doing, uh, not, this is half the time. All I end up doing is manage it, bring the idea and manage the ideas to completion. Then we move on to the next part or the next song. Um, and we do it. we, We do a lot of repetition because, uh, that's how we learn. And that's not how we learn only. It's how we learn, uh, without having to think about it on stage. You ever seen somebody on stage and you can tell they're thinking about what they're supposed to do. No one wants, no one wants to see that. So repetition will get rid of that by creating the moment you go over it till you really, really, really got it. And then, you, then you go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And then you tweak again. If they're, Oh, I should have cut that in half. Oh, I should have added a little thing there. Then you start developing that, that spontaneity on stage with a better foundation. It's like it's like you're almost visual telling or visual
0: storytelling a whole um, show essentially searching for that moment. It, it's I, I, we 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 find your work very fascinating because we as visual artists uh, actually uh, do almost the same thing that you're doing, but to help build a vision to essentially the concept of the song. Let's make a music video out of it. This is some of the characters. This is some of the animals. This is, this is the shots of the sky that we see. Like, how do we, uh, you know, make that into a visual uh, thing. And also we have the same kind of freedom uh, of also being on stage as well, because we can also make a song be dramatic by actually having a drama, um, a drama part of the music where there's dialogue between um, the singer and whoever right so it, we find we find that you, the way that you search for moments j- just uh, amazing cuz you are very much using your visual powers more than your sonic power sonic hearing
1: powers you know well, to be honest with you dude i i do both i spend i probably spend 60 70 70% of my time on the music and then after we've created the music, we go through the songs, come up with these moments. Then we look back and go, okay, now that we've rearranged these songs, where should they go? And then you get that, then you understand the psychology of an odd meaning. What do they want when you walk in? What do they want when you close? What do they want in between? It's like a restaurant. You have expectations. You walk into a restaurant, you hope someone will greet you. If they don't, you look for a sign. If no one's there and there's no sign, your expectations fall a little bit, but, and then you expect when you sit down, someone to come and say, would you like uh, water or something to drink, whatever. See where it gets janky is when, if you walked into the restaurant, someone said, hi, what would you like for dessert? And, and it, the psychology, in other words, yeah, we want dessert, but it's brought at the wrong time. So, so the idea is if you understand the psychology of an audience and what they want and when they want it, then you'll be more effective. And, and you bring it when they want it and to keep them engaged, you create some different surprising moments, things that, that, that keep, it's like adding another character yeah. to a, a, a story. Anyway.
0: And that is the importance of the the psychology of the set list that, you know, going back to the original question about actually using that for the psychology of the, uh, of the audience. So what does it mean to be then dating your audience versus married to your audience?
1: Well, the simplest example I can use is Sean. I work with Sean Mendes and he comes out and starts singing his very, very first song. And, 20,000, 50,000, depending on how big the arena, jump up and start singing with him. They are married to Sean. Every one of those young ladies knows, you know, his dog's name. Uh, <laughs> they know everything about it. And he's an extreme example. So with Taylor, I mean, fanatic fans. Um, you come out and play your first song and they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. So they're not going to jump to them. you. If you ask them to stand up and sing, it's a mistake because it's like, well, wait a minute. That's like asking, do you want dessert? Well, do I, do I want to stand up and sing sometime in the show? Yes, but not off the first song. So that, that's a mistake. But the point is being married is someone who knows you, their audience comes out. They've, they've known you for years. You, you've been popular. That's why some of the older artists get away with way more than the newer artists, because we're already in love with them. They can be a little chubby now as they're older. You know what I mean? Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, when he was young, Gordon Lightfoot, and now two different animals. The point is, they're married to the audience, and he'll be able to ride that thing for a while. You come out and play. You can play the exact same songs, the exact same way, and they would not respond to you the exact same way because you are dating your audience. They don't know you, so you have to do psychologically some things to engage your audience and keep them in and be able to listen to your audience, to know where to take them. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause you are, you are dating them. So take them somewhere very pleasant. <laughs> yeah. And I really lo- I love the way that you describe these simple concepts uh, and, and principles in your book and you know, from dating your audience to marrying your audience. So I, and in your book, you also said that confidence, uh, authority and charisma go hand in hand and our job as musicians is to lead the show with these qualities so could you explain the importance of all of these three in a musician on stage
1: wow well it's something to to uh strive for all three of those not everyone has all three but confidence here's my analogy of the short version confidence comes from preparation so the more prepared you are when you walk out on the stage you know the song I mean, if you do this right, you, you, you've worked on the psychology, you've got a vision for it, you've rehearsed it enough, so you're really confident. And, and an audience can pick up on that, uh, that confidence. But on top of confidence, and there's quite a few people that are confident, and, and I deal with stage fright too in the book, if you remember. So getting to that confidence and that dealing with that emotional stage fright. But the next thing is authority and authority comes from the inside. And that is dealing with stage fright. It's dealing with who are you on stage? What is your what's your gig? For most artists, I believe it's a calling. And they have to they have to wrestle with that calling. They have to say, Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. You know, because when you get ready to walk out on stage, when you get ready to play a, a festival where there's other artists, on and on and on, you're challenged constantly with for being honest, what am I doing here? This is stupid. I'm not that good. Those, whether it's the night before, whether it's whatever, we we wrestle with our insecurities. So authority comes from from wrestling with those insecurities and overcoming them, meaning I'm supposed to be here. I believe that before the creation of the earth, I was supposed to be on that stage because if it's not me, who is it? It's me. They hired me. They've given me... The authority, Canadian music has given me the authority to go up there and do my thing. So am I going to take that authority or am I going to shucks? Uh, you know, it's just me. No, I know that I know what I'm doing. For things I, I know that, but this one I do. And and before the world was formed, I was supposed to be on that stage. That is my mentality. It really is. Um, when I get really insecure. Before I go out. And I still do after thousands of times of on stage and teaching. And then the third thing is charisma. Charisma to me is if you learn to walk in authority, um, you create freedom in the room. And that's part of the deal here, folks. You've got to learn how to create freedom in the room so everyone is really comfortable, really in a groove, and you're the one leading them down that road so that there's a freedom that. That transcends just the music. That's what U2 does. That's what Springsteen does. Of course, I'm using those two guys, they're old school. But the reason they're old, I'm using them is one, like I said, U2 hasn't had a hit in 20 years, Springsteen, 30, 40 years. Yet you go to their concerts and people will say afterwards, My gosh, that was a religious experience. Why? Because they were so emotionally wrapped in a blanket and, and moved from place to place. I was in a um, new music seminar in New York City. I was teaching at, And Stevie, Bruce's guitar player, was on the panel with me. And I, I hope I didn't offend him, but I turned to him finally because we're talking about all this stuff. And I said, you know what? You and Bruce will be 95 years old. They'll be rolling you guys out in wheelchairs. And you'll still sell Madison Square Garden now 10 times. Why? Because of the moments and the creativity and that atmosphere that – that that is created by those groups they just don't play music and hope something good happens yeah
0: and and, and you know finding all these um all the, all this confidence within you and all this uh purpose you know Finding purpose and, yeah. and knowing your purpose is something that uh, invigorates uh, musicians to to see and actually take hold and and take take control of their own purpose and that's what I really love and what you have taught in your book Live Music Method. Uh, thank you so much, Tom, for coming by and uh, giving us the the inside scoop on how you see uh, the world from on stage and off stage. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Face the Music Podcast and you just listened to my conversation with live music producer Tom Jackson. And that concludes it. Season two, Coach's Corner, here at Face the Music Podcast has officially been done. This season is called Coach's Corner where K23.ca picks the minds of coaches in the music industry. Thanks so much for sticking around and listening to what these coaches had to say. In the upcoming season here at Face the Music Podcast, we'll be starting some discussions on what it means to be a musician in the present day. So subscribe now to Face the Music Podcast to stay in the know. Stay jazzy, folks.